You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Updates on the DarkSide ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline. Other ransomware strains, including Avadon and Babook, are out and dangerous. Guidelines on 5G threat vectors. Lemon Duck crypto jackers are looking for vulnerable exchange server instances. A bogus malicious Chrome app is circulating by smishing. Ben Yellen examines an online facial recognition platform. Our guest is Matthew Gorge of Vigitrust on the privacy risks of video and audio recordings and an update on an espionage trial. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, May 11th, 2021. The U.S. FBI confirmed yesterday that the DarkSide ransomware gang was indeed responsible for the ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline. President Biden, while stopping short of calling out the Russian government as having directed the attack, did say that Moscow bore some level of unspecified responsibility. The president said, quote, So far, there is no evidence from our intelligence people that Russia is involved, although there is some evidence that the actor's ransomware is in Russia. They have some responsibility to deal with this. That quote via the Washington Post. Amid reports of spiking fuel prices in parts of the eastern U.S., the U.S. administration also sought to ease concerns about fuel costs. Officials also shared their hope that Colonial Pipeline might be able to substantially restore service by week's end. Colonial is said to have been able to restore some service, but recovery remains in progress. Colonial Pipeline's corporate website was inaccessible early this morning. DarkSide isn't the only ransomware gang presenting an active ongoing threat. The Australian Cybersecurity Center and the U.S. FBI have warned, bleeping computer reports, that the Avadon threat group is active against targets worldwide. Like DarkSide, Avadon operates as an affiliate network. Its ransomware-as-a-service offerings have, the ACSC says, been active against targets in at least 20 countries, mostly Western and developed, but including China and excluding Russia, across 17 sectors. Avadon wants, on average, $40,000 from a victim, payable, naturally, in Bitcoin. The crooks promise, honest, to provide the Avadon general decryptor in exchange for the ransom. The ACSC also recommends the following familiar best practices— Patch operating systems and applications and keep antivirus signatures up to date. Scan emails and attachments to detect and block malware and implement training and processes to identify phishing and externally sourced emails. 
and maintain offline encrypted backups of data and regularly test your backups, regularly conduct backup procedures and keep backups offline or in separated networks. The Babuk ransomware gang may also have resurfaced. Technadu reports that its ransomware has targeted Japanese power tool manufacturer Yamabiko. The gang's leak site claims it's obtained half a terabyte of corporate-sensitive data. Quote, The hackers are presenting screenshots of accessed file systems, SolidWorks files, personal employee data, financial reports, testing diagrams, circuit schematics, etc., Babook, which recently counted coup against the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police, has said that henceforth it won't bother encrypting victims' files. That doesn't mean they've reformed, just that they're returning to data theft as their preferred method of extortion. The U.S. Office of the Director of National Intelligence, CISA, and NSA have published a study of the threat environment 5G technology will occupy, Their analysis, designed to support the strategy outlined by the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, was conducted by a 5G threat model working panel. The panel looked at three major threat vectors in 5G, standards, the supply chain, and threats to systems architecture, and includes an aggregated list of known and potential threats to the 5G environment, sample scenarios of where 5G may be adopted, and assessed risks to 5G core technologies. Cisco Talos says it's determined that the Lemon Duck crypto jacking group has continued to turn its attention to vulnerable instances of Microsoft Exchange Server. Decipher notes that the gang has adopted some new tactics, techniques, and procedures, several of them intended to serve better obfuscation. Pradeo warns that a new, sophisticated smishing campaign impersonates a Chrome app. Victims are asked to pay a small fee to release a package that's been shipped to them. Should victims install the link provided, they are invited to update Chrome. The update is, of course, malicious and installs malware that further disseminates the smishing. And finally, Stars and Stripes reports that U.S. federal prosecutors have asked for a sentence of 17 years in the case of Peter Raphael Zabinski-Debbins, a former U.S. Army Special Forces officer. Mr. Debbins took a guilty plea last November to a charge of participating in an espionage conspiracy with Russian agents between December 1996 and January 2011. Although Mr. Debbins left the Army under a cloud in 2005, after being removed from command over what Stars and Stripes characterizes as violating protocols while serving in Afghanistan, he worked for several years as an intelligence contractor. His contact with the GRU went back to his days as an ROTC cadet at the University of Minnesota. It seems remarkable that he retained his access to classified material as long as he did. His contacts with the GRU came to light only after he failed a polygraph examination in 2019. His attorney has asked for leniency on the grounds that Mr. Devins suffered from, quote, psychological pathologies, end quote. Mr. Devins, who has family ties to Russia, said that he sought out intelligence work because of his strong disapproval of the Russian regime and a desire to change that regime from the outside. In 2014, however, he said that he, quote, embraced an occult belief in a system which I believed was my own god and thought I could conform to my will. I created an imaginary advisory council of current and historical figures to guide and assist me. In 
Instead of changing Russia, I descended into insanity, unable to distinguish between reality and fantasy. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. The recent data breach at video surveillance and security platform provider Verkata brought to light issues with both third-party risk and how companies should be considering their care and storage of video assets. Mathieu Gorge is CEO and founder of Vigitrust, an integrated risk management software-as-a-service solutions provider, and author of the book The Cyber Elephant in the Boardroom. I think that every company is is a target and... Um the issue with video is is oftentimes not covered the right way by security and compliance people. And unfortunately, uh, it doesn't necessarily make it to the priority list. So I, I, I wasn't really surprised. And I actually expect that we're going to see more of that in the next few months. Can you dig into why you think folks don't treat security the way they do some other issues in terms of the video? Because I think that, uh, you know, when you think about security, you think about cybersecurity, generally speaking. So the security of your networks, the security right now of your remote workers with the, with the pandemic, security of your servers and so on. You don't necessarily think of the, the hidden threats or issues with, with video 
uh, let me give you a few examples. Um, if you've got um, video security um, within your, your system, uh, those systems are typically IP enabled and you use them for physical security. You use them for maybe to track where people are going or how many people come into your business and to, especially in retail and so on. And all of that data ends up uh, on your network. And yet, because it's not seen as uh, personal data, like credit card holder data or health data, it's not actually being treated as such. Um, the issue with that is that you, you end up with uh, geolocation data, you end up with uh, biometric data, you also end up with uh, potentially some data pertaining to documents. Uh, and an example of that is, uh, especially in government or um, in semi-state where you go in, for instance, to get your driver's license, you go to the till and you're asked for a copy of your ID, maybe uh, a credit card and so on. And there will always be a camera somewhere that, if it's pointed the wrong direction, can actually capture copies of those of that information, which ends up being on your systems, ends up being backed up, and somebody with access and with malicious intent can actually replay it and get access to your personal data. Another example would be, say, maybe um, a gym or a fitness or a spa uh, where uh, people come in and when, when, they log in, when, they, when they go to reception, they give their credit card and then the, the whole copy of the, um, of the credit card is actually taken uh, within the system. Now, the funny thing if I may, is that um, if you look at inter uh, IVR, interactive uh, voice recording, that always makes it onto an asset list within ISO 27001. And, and ironically, the video systems don't. So we, we think of audio systems in terms of contact centers and so on. And we cover that data because it actually ends up on the systems. And we know that it's managed by a computer system and a program in the back end, but for some reason, video doesn't make it. That's Mathieu Gorge from Vigitrust. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Ben, always great to have you back. Good to be with you again, Dave. Uh, interesting article over on CNN Business. This is written by Rachel Metz. Uh, it's titled, Anyone Can Use This Powerful Facial Recognition Tool, and That's the Problem. Uh, talking about uh, an online service called PIM Eyes, P-I-M Eyes, uh, what's going on here, Ben? So this is an online service. Uh, you can get some of its benefits for free. Uh, some of what they're offering requires a paid monthly uh, or annual subscription. Um, you might actually get more by by paying that subscription, but I'll get to that in a second. So basically how it works is you upload a photo of yourself uh, and you find any uh, photo on the entire internet that uh, matches the photo that you've uploaded. So you can find out, um, you know, 
what photos of you are out there on the internet for good and bad. And these can be photos, you know, good photos from your vacations, from graduations, um, from the website of your place of employment, or it can be really negative things like potential pornographic videos. So it really runs the gamut. There are a lot of risks inherent in this service. One of them is that there's no way for the site to enforce that you're uploading your own picture. So you could potentially upload the picture of some, you know, of somebody else and get all of the results, uh, get get their results and see where their pictures are posted on the internet. And you can imagine how this could be used for very nefarious purposes. So if you're an online stalker and you want to know, you know, the, what the person that you're stalking has been up to, then you can upload a photo of that person and, you know, they might gather that person's photos from Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, social media uh, all in one location, and that would actually give the stalker access to pretty useful information. Now, there's nothing personally identifiable, uh, so there's no names that that come with this photo. But you know, there are tools you could use reverse Google image searches, etc., uh, to put a name to the face. So that's not entirely foolproof. Um, hmm. There are major differences in uh, the free version of this and and the paid versions. So in the free version, you just get a bunch of pixelated images. You might get a decent idea. I mean, I might be like, oh, I recognize that. You know, I remember that picture of me on the internet, that shirt I was wearing, etc. Um, but that's not going to offer you much information. But if you pay a monthly fee of twenty nine ninety nine a month as an individual, then you can do this on a much larger scale. Uh, it gives you access to greater search features. And we'll make sure that it gets you images that are not pixelated. And then a business, uh, and this is something that's uh, you know kind of scary if you think about, it, could pay three hundred bucks and uh, have the ability to do unlimited searches under this service. So hmm. this article, you know, mentions the possibility that your employer uses it. Um, you know, maybe they've got a picture of you on their security cam when you ta- came in for the interview. They upload that photo uh, and they find, you know, the time you partied in college uh, with a six pack in public when you were drinking as a minor (laughs) right? uh, right. and they decline you employment. So, you know, I think there are potential good uses uh, for this type of technology, but also a lot of potential bad uses for this technology. It's really interesting, though. Well, let me tell you, I took one for the team here, and I uploaded a picture of myself. Uh, I uploaded a, my headshot, my official CyberWire headshot uh, from the website, and just to see what would come up with the free uh, version of the search here. And sure enough, it found lots of pictures of me. Um, I'd say there are some pictures in here dating back to when I was in my 20s, which wow. is a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to age There's, yourself, but that that was not yesterday. Let's put it no, that way. No, not yesterday. I mean, that was really so almost, uh, well, I mean, pre-YouTube, pre, you know, pre a lot of this stuff. So it's a, that's an older picture. But there's a variety of photos of, of me in different, uh, different scenarios, both um, uh, pictures where I'm part of a group photo or I was at an event, something like that, as you say. Uh, but also of great interest to me is... Um, they, it lists a bunch of photos that are that they, it categorizes as being lower score results, and none of them are me. <laughs> it's a whole gallery of people who I'll admit kind of look, look like, like me. You? Yeah, they look like me. I could see you know, they could be related to me, some more than others. So you can see how the the algorithm would think, yeah, this might be Dave, but it's it's not me. Um, but uh, yeah, fascinating. Um, I, I guess as you say. 
Boy, the the widespread availability of this is is the thing, right? Because there's no there's no verification that the picture you're uploading is you. It could be anybody. So you could be a stalker or whatever, uh, and and use this service to try to. This it's all open source information. It is open source information. Now, one thing that they mentioned in the article that could be a good use of this service is. You know, if you're a potential celebrity or somebody who thinks they've been the victim of revenge porn, if you do a search under the service, you could find out, um, you know, whether your image has been used in pornography. And that could be a very useful mechanism uh, without having to scour the entire Internet. Um, so there is, you know, there's there's a lot of potential here. It's just very ripe for negative consequences. And I think it worries me, potentially when we talk about uh, stalkers and you know potential employers. We get into some pretty dangerous territory there, in my view. Mm-hmm. There's a picture of me here, and I'm wearing a tuxedo. I was emceeing an event, and I know exactly what event it is. But what's intriguing is it has tagged it as a potentially explicit result. Huh? Were you? Yeah. Uh, were you wearing a a tuxedo or a birthday suit? <laughs> it was definitely definitely a tuxedo, and you can't tell from this photo, but I swear I was wearing pants. Ah, uh, and what's and uh, but here's the catch, right? If I want to click through and find out the website on here that's potentially explicit, it's going to cost me thirty bucks. Yeah, that's how they get you. <laughs> that's how they get me. So, uh, well, I'm not going to do it, but. Um, Again, interesting article. This is uh, over on CNN Business. Uh, the article's by Rachel Metz. Uh, anyone can use this uh, powerful facial recognition tool, and that's the problem. Uh, the website is called Pim Eyes. Uh, worth a look. Uh, I think, um, for better or for worse, this is kind of the shape of things to come. I am discovering that there's one guy on the internet, because I, I did this search myself, uh, who apparently has very similar facial features to me. Uh, yeah. Because I got like 30 versions of this person's photo. So I might have to meet this <laughs> doppelganger in person someday. That's right. That's right. Right. Separated at birth. <laughs> All right. Well, Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.